On this week's episode of Juke Sports, the fellas are back. We jump right into the October showdown. A World Series preview between the Tampa Bay Rays and the Los Angeles Dodgers. You'll hear our take on who we think reigns supreme in this matchup. Then we jump right into a quick college football recap from the past week. And of course, a Big Ten preview on what's to come. Quick NFL recap. And then we're joined this week by our guest, David Pindell, former UConn quarterback, to talk about his time as a collegiate quarterback and his journey through the NFL. The list this week, the greatest Big Ten rivalries, not including the game. That's right. No Ohio State and Michigan. What's the next best rivalry? Closing statements and a lot more. All right, let's giddy up. Welcome to another episode of Juke Sports October 20th. Guys, we have made it through. It's October. We have a World Series to get into. A lot to unpack with that. Some fun stuff in store for this episode. A great interview coming up with David Pendel. But first, Jake, I think we gotta gotta talk about the World Series. Two best teams, mm-hmm. in my opinion, maybe not in some people's minds, you know, maybe not the biggest market, a lot of stars mm-hmm. for the Rays, but definitely the two best teams in my opinion. And we got some great championship series. Uh, let's let's start there. What was your biggest takeaway coming out of those championship series? Both teams fluctuating. I mean, the Braves blowing a three-one lead. Let's start there with the oh. Braves and the Dodgers. So, oh, man, Atlanta sports fans, like, I feel bad for them, and like it's been all it's been all downhill since you know twenty-eight to three. Um. You know, I just fell for him. And, you know, the, the, the Falcons had this big win on Sunday. And it just like, okay, like, they just won big. That's not good for the Braves. The, you, you can't have your football team and your baseball team winning on the same day. <laughs> um, but I feel for those Braves fans, especially because what they went through with the 90s, you know, always losing the, the, the World Series, the NLCS. But um, – the, one of the big takeaways here is that the Dodgers just refuse to go away, okay? Down 3-1, down in some of those games, and they just refuse to die. They were getting hits when they needed to, um, and, you know, they showed why they are one of the best teams in baseball. I mean, looking at um, some of their their record against – teams above 500 gave me a little bit of doubt. I did pick them to win it all, but it gave me a little bit of doubt. They were under 500 against teams that were 500 or better facing a a team like the Braves who um, were, they got healthy. They were a little banged up during the year. Their bullpen got healthy, but they just weren't able to close out another epic collapse for Atlanta sports. But I just think the Dodgers being able to get key hits in, in those situations with runners in scoring position, I think, is huge and will carry over to the World Series. 
Yeah, I think there's two big takeaways here for me. I mean, you look at the Dodgers, and you hit on it a little bit with their grit this year. They are just not going out without a fight. Um, 2017, 2018, some bad uh, taste in their mouth coming out of those uh, series losses. So this seems like the year. All signs are pointing that this is the year for the Dodgers to finally get it done for the first time in a long time. But also, the Braves are set up for some success. And the Braves are set up for a few good years. And they're going to be right back next year, I feel like. We knew that they had some good pitching. Was the pitching going to continue to carry over? Um, You know, Kyle Wright got destroyed in game three. That was when the Dodgers blew them out there after the Braves went up Mm 2-0. But, I mean, offensively, if some of these young pitchers pan out and continue to uh, progress like they were through the postseason, Braves are set up for some success. Mm-hmm. Now, Tampa Bay. This one, to me, I love this. The Astros, Tampa Bay. Astros got back into it. Tampa Bay was up 2-0. I think last time we talked on here last week, it was mm-hmm. 2-0 already. We thought it was over. Then it was, what, 3-0, then the Astros came all the way back and forced the Game Mm 7. That would have been one of the – I think that would have been worse if the Astros would have – Would have came back. When it came back from 3-0. That, in my opinion, is worse than blowing a 3-1 lead, Um, obviously, for many of (laughs) you. Yeah. But the Rays team here is going to post some interesting matchups. You have two very – Different contrasting styles here when you look at the Rays and the Dodgers. Right. Any early thoughts on who you still feel is going to come out of here? All right. I initially said the Dodgers. I'm changing my pick. I think the Rays win this in seven, and I'm going to tell you why. Okay. One, I think they have one of the best pitching rotations in all of baseball. Uh, Snell, Morton, Glasnow, Yardborough. I think their starting pitching is very good and they're going to be rested going in next. And I think this is the most important. All right. Because those starting pitchers are going to get quality starts. They're going to make a good bullpen even better. All right. In that bullpen bullpen. um, I think you got Fairbanks, you got Nick Anderson, you have dudes that can come in and seal games for you. I mean, ask, you know, you know, the Braves in the, in the middle of the year, this is the Philadelphia Phillies problem is they guys come out of the bullpen and are giving up, are giving up runs. They're giving away leads. And I think Tampa Bay with the quality rotation that they have making a better bull or a good bullpen, even better. And I think that is going to be the difference maker in these games. And I'm taking, the Tampa Bay Rays in seven games because of that reason. I think everyone that's not a Dodgers fan for the most part is going to be rooting for the Rays here. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. I would say I want to be on the, the year of Tampa Bay. It might be. I mean, lightning already won Tampa Bay Rays in the world series. Mm-hmm. Tampa Bay bucks look really good. It could be. I, however, am going to stick with the Dodgers here. Okay. But I think if you take it down and look at the rosters, Tampa Bay 
has a team that could counteract what the Dodgers do with the pitching, with the bullpen. Starting pitching, advantage raise. Bullpen, advantage raise. Offense, Dodgers. Defense, toss-up. Maybe Dodgers on a night, maybe at night, the Rays. I mean, Mookie's unbelievable out there. Mm-hmm. But I think that this is just the year, like we've seen it for the Dodgers. I think Kershaw finally figures it out in a big game. I think he comes and it looks like he's going to be starting game one against class now. And then Bueller and Snell in game two. I just think it's the Dodgers year. Uh, I love Tampa Bay. I love their kind of no star mentality that they don't have these big names. Um, That's always exciting for me being a fan of of small market teams, but I don't know the Dodgers now that they got in there, it looked like they weren't going to get it done the NLCS and the same old story is, you know, Dodgers have all this talent, but they just can't get it done. It's going to come back to flourishing. But I think after they won last night, after Bellinger hit that home run, they give them the lead late. I don't know. They're going to be a tough out. They're going to be a tough out. But what I'm really excited for, for a lot of people out there, the Tampa Bay Rays have a young stud that not many people know about, uh, Randy Rosarina playing out there he just destroys fastballs so it's going to be interesting to see we saw some good glimpses of the tampa bay offense but are they going to be able to do it in the world series and keep it up we'll see i mean they won a lot of games by pitching in their bullpen they won a lot of 2-1 4-2 5-2 games if you keep the dodgers offense under Five runs, I think that's a win in the eyes of a lot of people. But are the Rays going to be able to score five to six runs a game is going to be the question in my opinion. See, I think think that's going to be the big question. Can the Rays score? Um, Can they keep up? But I I just believe that Tampa Bay's pitching will be able to suppress that high-powered Dodger offense, and I think that's going to give them the advantage. You saw it a little bit in the Braves series, but then they have those breakout nights and then they kind of get rolling a little bit. Like they had the game three where they scored 15 runs and they come back in for score two runs. So they're kind of up and down, but if they could get back to consistently scoring six, seven runs a game, they're going to be a tough out. They're going to be tough out because I don't think regardless of some of the weaknesses in the Dodgers bullpen, Mm. I think starting pitching could, could, be okay and could carry him a little bit, even though they've been suspects thus mm-hmm. far. But it's going to be a fun series, and there's going to be a lot of good games. I think it goes 7-2. I, I know that's the chalk pick, you know, uh, who, who's going to win it in seven. I'm sticking with the Dodgers. I tell you what, though. If Kershaw comes out game one and looks lights out and they win that game, then maybe Dodgers in six, because I think that's going to be the momentum swing that they need. If, if they're – best player for the past however many years finally shows that he does it on the biggest stage and doesn't continue to flop I think that's going to be all the energy and the guidance that they need to go through this series and finally bring the world series back there but it's going to be one one fun ride no oh it's going to be a good world series I'm looking forward to it tomorrow or tonight when this drops yep game one Tuesday night so it'll be fun. I think we're we both had Dodgers originally, but you could switch. It could be a flip flopper. It doesn't matter. 
It's all, all in good fun. Okay. But let's kind of transition now into our favorite part of the show, football. Yep. College football, baby. Oh, it's in full swing. It just feels so – every Saturday just feels so good. And it's you know, it's back. Feel, oh, it's going to be – it's going to feel even better this week when the Big Ten is back. Oh, it's going to be great. I, I just want to see punts and great defense and ground and pound. It's, it's, it's going to be I awesome. It's, it's going to be I super love. fun. I love. The Big Ten with both our favorite conference, so we're super excited there. Um, there's going to be a lot of good games when you have, I mean, we'll get into the matchups a little bit, but I kind of want to, there was some good action this past weekend, you know, nothing too exciting. So I don't think we need to go into this week, recap uh, some of the bigger games. I mean, Alabama and Georgia was the biggest game. We mm -hmm. saw how that uh, played out. I want to give you a couple, a couple teams here, Jake. Okay. And I want you to tell me, if you think they're they're for real, if they're contenders, to one, you know, be a contender in the BCS championship and then also in their conference, or if they're pretenders, if what we've seen so far is just a fluke based off of who they played. Um, and I want to start with Notre Dame. Okay. So Notre Dame, you know, good weeks, bad weeks. This week, 12-7 against Louisville. Yep. In my opinion, I don't think they're for real. What do you think? Um, I think Notre Dame is for real. I think Notre Dame can win the ACC this year. Um, and I think they are contenders. Uh, I think their offense took a step back, but good defense. Um, uh, listen, Notre Dame, it takes a lot of flack. Brian Kelly takes a lot of flack, again, for not winning the big game, not getting to the playoff. I think he did. I think they got their ass kicked when they did get to the playoff. Did they? I, don't, I forget. But it's like yeah, he, can't, he can't get in there. So my thing is this team is always consistently good. They had a little bit of a setback, but the most important thing is they won. And I'm going to talk a little bit about their game later on. But, yes, they are contenders. All right. We'll agree to disagree on that one. I think they're good. Their defense is going to keep them in a lot of games. I just can't trust that offense right now. We'll see. Um, all right, so the big game last week, Alabama and Georgia. Okay. You want both second, of them? Second half, yeah. Second half was really one-sided. Let's start with uh, let's start with the winning team here, Alabama. I think it was a clear answer here. Uh, absolutely. I think a lot of people were worried about their defense. And, yeah, in the first half against Georgia, it didn't look – I mean, it looked okay. But – they're they're all the way back. Um, Bama is a clear contender. What about Georgia now? Georgia takes a tough loss here this week. I still think they're pretty good. I still think they're young. I don't know if I trust quarterback play there. What are your thoughts on Georgia? Are they a contender or a pretender? Yeah. You know, they're a they're a pretender but they're a very good pretender, if that makes sense. They're a pretender. They're going to be a top 10 team, but they're going to be on the outside looking in when it comes to the playoff. I think they're going to get the short end of the stick on the playoff this year too. It's going to be interesting. I think it comes down to – I think the SEC 
more so than in years past because of the SEC only schedule, you might see a lot more two loss teams than traditionally. Usually in the past, if you lose one game in the SEC, you're still yeah. in it. You still have a chance at it. I think they're going to beat themselves up more so than they have in the past. And I think that opens up a door for maybe, maybe I'm getting excited here, a one loss Big Ten team in the Final Four. Yeah. Um, so we'll see what happens. I think there. it definitely can happen. I mean, I think it definitely can happen. If there's a one loss, if you already have the SEC champion there and you have a one loss Big Ten team, throw the Big Ten team in there, man. I, I agree 100% there. I mean, unless, right. unless it's like, I'm trying to think how to, unless it's like a Wisconsin goes undefeated and then loses to like maybe a two loss Ohio State, then yeah, then you don't put them in there. Like the champ has to go in. Mm-hmm. Okay. But there should be, it's going to be interesting when we get down the road, especially how the committee evaluates some of these. All right, last one for you. Okay. Contender or pretender? The new team of destiny since they beat the old team of destiny, the number 25 ranked Coastal Carolina Chanticleers. 4 0. Contender, pretender. The Chanticleers are a contender to win the fun belt. Uh, probably that's it. Um, I'll say this. You want to talk about a team of destiny here? BYU, man, is probably going to go undefeated. And the committee is going to have a really tough time. I mean, they're going to get left out just because of strength of schedule. But BYU, I think, is going to go undefeated. They're a very physical team. And whoever has to play them in a um, New Year's Six Bowl is going to get a tough physical team. Usually it's a UCF or a Memphis that – has this high-powered offense, and they have no defense. BYU plays defense. Their offense is getting better, and they're going to be really tough in a New Year's Six when they go undefeated. BYU has one of the – I mean, Zach Wilson's getting a lot of love lately. Mm -hmm. I don't know where he'll end up in draft-wise. I haven't looked at him to evaluate him to next level, but – He's going he's gonna to get some looks, and his draft stock is going to keep climbing in you know, an always demanding position where everyone wants to get hit on the next you know, Tom Brady or you know, Lamar Jackson in the late, later round pick. It's going to be interesting. I love the BYU team. Like you said, they're super tough, super physical. I think the only game left on their schedule and I don't have it in front of me but I think it's like Boise State is the only real tough tough game they have they have left so it's gonna be it's gonna be fun they're a fun team if they go on they're gonna be like the Notre Dame of the past years I feel where Notre Dame was you know not with a conference BYU is gonna be in there Mm -hmm. are they that good they beat some good teams so far and not and handily to say the least so It'll be interesting to see how that comes out there. Coastal Carolina, FYI for everyone who's been following along. They have the new team of destiny. The Raging Cajuns are no longer the team of destiny for Cots. Um, all right. Let's switch gears a little bit, talk some Big Ten. Big Ten's back. Super excited. Week one this week for the Big Ten. What matchup are you most excited for? Um, so I have a couple that I'm excited for. Um, well, you can't one, say all, Jake. <laughs> I know. I, I, make, I, I do like a lot of these matchups. Um, I'm excited for one. Obviously, I'm going to say 
uh, Penn State, Indiana. Um, Indiana is a very good football team. They have a lot of guys back. They got um, they have a, a good core nucleus there. They're going to be even better than last year. The only problem is not sure how their offensive line is going to be and possibly their receiving core. Penn State, again, Penn State's a team also – not a very good receiving core. I think their offensive line under new coach is going to be rejuvenated. Can't wait to watch them play. But the big matchup is going to be Indiana's receivers versus, versus Penn State's secondary. If Penn State's secondary can handle them, I think Penn State takes care of business. If they can't and they get windows, Indiana could pull off an upset and beat Penn State in Bloomington the first game of the year. So I'm excited about that matchup. Uh, the other one, is the battle for the little brown jug, uh, Minnesota and Michigan. Um, one of the uh, longest rivalries. I think it's the, the oldest trophy in college football, the little brown jug, uh, which we'll be talking about in a later segment. Um, but I'm really excited for that one. And I will, I have a prediction for that one as well. So those are the two matchups I'm really looking forward to. I'm looking forward to, and this is going to sound interesting for many people. Why am I looking forward to this? Rutgers and Michigan State. I think Rutgers has a chance to upset Michigan State. They're both pretty bad. <laughs> They're both going – well, Rutgers has been bad for a while. Michigan State's kind of going through a rebuild, getting some new pieces in there. They don't really have a strong team this year. I think Rutgers could go into East Lansing and pull off an upset. Now, it's going to be – here's what's going to happen. I'm going to – this is how it's going to play out. Okay. It's going to be close. First quarter is going to be back and forth. No points probably. Typical Big Ten game. It's going to be an ugly game. This is, a, this is an ugly snooze fest. I think it goes into the fourth quarter – 15, 16 to 12, a lot of field goals. And then Rutgers gets one touchdown, goes up 19, 16, let's call it. And then two more field goals for Michigan State to win. I think they only win by maybe maybe a touchdown or a score here. I mean, right now, Sparty is favored by 12 and a half. I mean, I like to take my gambling um, predictions and invest for the future. Mm-hmm. I would sprinkle a little bit on the Rutgers money line. Oh, I don't know about that. To see that. It's not about wins and losses, Jake. It's about your return on your investment. So if I'm I don't up, think Rutgers doesn't win a game until 2021. So you don't think they get one this year? I think they're going to start. They're, gonna, they're, they're the Jets of the NFL. And even though the Jets don't have a win yet this year, they usually give you that one game that's like, where where has this team been on? Or they at least keep it close. Not saying Rutgers wins a lot. They find that one game to kind of keep it close. Mm-hmm. I think this is the one. Why not? Okay. You, you think so? Okay, so here's Rutgers' schedule, since we're talking about Rutgers. Michigan State, Indiana, Ohio State, Illinois. Maybe. Loss. Maybe, but I'm going to say Illinois beats them. This is their one chance to get a win, Jake, and then you get the big dogs. Purdue. They got Purdue. Yeah, maybe they, maybe Purdue, but I don't know about that. Is it at Purdue? It is at Rossade Stadium at West Lafayette. So, I don't know about that. I think this is their one chance, even though it's on the road. Michigan State, 
Mm-hmm. Weird off season. Might be looking past Rutgers a little bit. I don't know why I'm giving Rutgers love. Rutgers is usually their fault. For Rutgers everything. isn't winning a game. That's very likely. If they don't beat Michigan State, then I would agree with that. But I think this is their one chance to get a win this year and pull off an upset. And then, yeah, I agree with you. Um, Indiana-Penn State, great game. We're not going to talk about that. It's not a Penn State podcast. But I am a little worried about that. Indiana's tough. Um, I think that game – I think Indiana could be leading that game going into the fourth quarter. It it's, it's, it's a close one. But, uh, yeah, I'm super excited for Michigan-Minnesota. Let's talk about that a little bit because I okay. think we're on, we're on different sides here. Um, I hate Michigan. It hates a strong word. They're just kids. I dislike Michigan. I might hate certain coaches on the Michigan staff, but I think I'm in on Michigan to win this game. I'm not sold on Minnesota. I think they're going to regress a little bit from last year. I think you're on the Minnesota trade. So let me hear why. Um, so, okay. Tanner. So you have Tanner Morgan. Okay, Minnesota. Don Brown's defense in at Michigan. Don Brown is going to play a lot of man-to-man. He's going to play one high safety, maybe throw in a little cover zero. He's going to send a lot of pressure. It's going to be Tanner Morgan, okay, against these Michigan uh, defensive backs. And with this game being in Minnesota in a primetime game, game for the first like minnesota being featured in a primetime game for the first time ever i mean i w- oh my god i wish they would they would have been in full capacity because the place would have been going crazy but i think that tanner morgan is going to make big plays against that tough man-to-man at michigan and i think he's going to exploit some of their cornerbacks and i think that is going to be the key uh to the game yeah, Michigan's got a lot of question marks this year. I, one They're being, very aggressive. They are very aggressive on defense. They play a lot of man-to-man. And I, I just think that Tanner Morgan and some of his returning receivers are going to be able to um, not carve up Michigan, but they're going to make big plays. And that's what Michigan does. Michigan suppresses, suppresses, but then once in a while you keep playing aggressive, one's going to slip out. And I think Minnesota makes enough of those plays to win. They could. The one thing that scares me is Tanner Morgan's a veteran quarterback. Michigan's kind of in flux right now. I think they're going with the kid out, out of Florida, Joe, Mil- Joe Milton, excuse yeah. me, to uh, start. We haven't seen anything from him. He's got like 15 pass attempts for his career. So it's going to be interesting to see how they utilize him. He's a big kid. Uh, could be interesting. I wonder, everyone's always wondering when. Um, McCaffrey's going to get involved if he's going to see more time this year what they're going to do with him I think that could be interesting as well but I don't know how they end up pulling I don't know how Minnesota ends up pulling away from this game I think Michigan keeps it close enough mm -hmm. that they could end up taking it to the fourth quarter if it's close going into the fourth quarter I think Michigan could end up pulling the upset Mm -hmm. well uh just to tell you, Cots, uh, McCaffrey opted out. Oh, did he? He's not even in there. Yeah. Um, he lost that competition to Joe Milton. And, and he just opted he, out? <laughs> yeah, he opted out. He's, he's moving on. Michigan's moving on without him. So it's going to be the Joe Milton show. Huh. Also, Nico Collins also is no longer with the team. Big-time receiver out of Michigan. So I don't know what's going on. Um, is Harbaugh 
you know? It's Harbaugh. Is so, it Harbaugh? Is it, hey, like, I don't know if this season's happening or, hey, I don't want to play. Which, again, if, if a kid's like, listen, like, I just don't feel comfortable playing, hey, more power to you. But I don't know if it's one of those reasons or if it's a um, internal reason why. But yes. I think – I'm telling you, I, th- I think Minnesota beats them. It could very well happen, and I won't be upset if it does happen. I mm-hmm. think Harbaugh needs to get out of Michigan. I think they need to part ways with him if they really want to get back to true – Michigan form. So yeah, they if need you haven't guessed, so if you haven't guessed, I have, um, I have Minnesota uh, money line. That's not a bad pick. Um, I mean, they're getting the points. So what are they on the money line? Because I think they're getting three and a half, right? Two and a half. So mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Again, I'm not a big gambler, but like I took the two and a half, and then I also took money line. Not bad. Not bad. You know, just uh, you know, just to, hey. You know, so if Minnesota wins, I double my money. If they win and don't cover, then, hey, at least I get something back. All right, final thing in terms of Big Ten. Does anyone beat Ohio State this year? Uh, I think Penn State possibly in the, in the second game on Halloween. I, I just – I don't think Penn State gets it done. They can. I think it's going to be a very good game. I just think Ohio State gets them again. Yeah, I would agree. I, I I don't see anything outside of that game with Penn State. I think if it was a little – I think it it's an advantage to Ohio State that it's earlier on. I think if Penn State mm-hmm. had a few more weeks to get into the groove, then I'd be a little bit more confident in thinking that Penn State could pull off that upset. I mean, I'm not as confident that Penn State could get out of week one against Indiana. So Indiana's going to be tough. I don't know. Indiana's going to be very tough. They'll do what they always do. They'll keep it close with Ohio State. They'll play them really tough. But ultimately, talent outweighs, you know, unfortunately, your heart and competitiveness. So Yeah, and, and I think playing, playing Ohio State in the beginning of the year like this, when they're fresh, I think um, is going to hurt Penn State. But, okay, sure. moving, moving on. Let's get into some more picks. Let's get into some more picks, okay? But – we're going to still keep it in the Big Ten to start off, okay? Um, I do think Penn State's going to have a tough test against Indiana, but I am taking the Nittany Lions minus six and a half against Indiana. I am taking the Nittany Lions to win by a touchdown, but I didn't feel good in placing the bet. I didn't feel good about it, but I feel like the Nittany Lions are going to pull it off. Um, Nebraska. Nebraska at Ohio State. Ohio State is minus 27 and a half, and we are laying the points with the Buckeyes. We are laying the points. Ohio State, 27 and a half favorites against Nebraska. We're laying the points down. The Buckeyes are going to win at home. And then we already heard about Michigan, uh, Minnesota. Do, Do you have any big Big Ten games, Cots? Before we go on to other predictions, yeah, I think I'm. I mean, my upset of the week, I, I'm. I'm riding with Rutgers. I don't know why. What's there's no real so logic. The money line behind, or are you taking it with the points. No, I'll take the money line. Um, wow. Okay. I, I think Ruck, I think Rutgers wins outright. I, I don't know why. There's no numbers, stats behind it. I just have a gut feeling. I'll tell you what my gut feeling was last week that I didn't bet on it. That looked really good at first, and then I thought. Wow, I'm an idiot because if this hits, 
I could have looked like a freaking genius. My gut was telling me last week to take Kansas over West Virginia, and I didn't do it. And Kansas played them tough in the beginning. It was up a little bit in that game. I got the same feeling this week about Rutgers-Michigan State. So if you're looking for a little noon action, maybe something to get the juices flowing to start the day, ride Rutgers with me, man. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing with the Kansas game, though. Like, West Virginia was winning by 28, and then at the end of the game, they gave up a, a kick return for a touchdown for them to, for them to cover. Yeah, but I'm not West even West Virginia about... was going to cover. But it doesn't even matter. I would have taken – if I would have went with it, I would have taken Kansas on the money line because they were like plus 900 is what I'm saying. They were winning that game 10-7. And it was a close game until uh, it was 17-10 at half. Ah, they pulled away. They, the, the third, in the third quarter, West Virginia dominated, even though it didn't look well, like Well, yeah, they dominated. But it's Kansas. Kansas lost to the Coastal Carolina. You trying to defend your Mountaineers because uh, they no, better No, don't Kansas. say my Mountaineers. Don't say my Mountaineers. They're your second favorite college team. No, I live here, <laughs> and I support the town, and I support <laughs> them. All right, um, other so, games. Coming on, um, we got NC State at North Carolina. I have the Tar Heels are going to come back with a vengeance at home against their in-state rival, North Carolina, minus 16 and a half. We're laying the points down with that one. NC State's got some issues on defense. North Carolina's going to exploit it. Uh, let's look. We're going to keep in the ACC uh Miami is 10 and a half point under or sorry 10 and a half point favorites against Virginia uh again this one looks too good but I'm taking it anyway I'm taking the bait I'm taking Miami 10 and a half point favorites over UVA uh also Notre Dame is gonna bounce back after their ugly win against Louisville they have Pitt Pitt is in turmoil Pitt is this could have been a decent year for Pitt and they continuously are shooting themselves in the foot. Notre Dame is going to beat Pitt minus nine and a half. Lay that one down. The Irish over the Panthers. And God, I hope Narduzzi gets fired after it. Uh, let's see here. All right, we're going to go down to the SEC. Uh, Auburn at Ole Miss. The over-under is 65 and a half. We are going with the... Over, Ole Miss is going to rebound after a lackluster performance against Arkansas and Auburn. Also, a loss against South Carolina. Both of these offenses are going to be fired up. We're going to see points there. We're going to take the over, 65 and a half. Uh, Tulane at UCF, the over-under, 70 and a half. We're taking the over, baby. These two teams love the score. It's going to happen, okay? No defense in this one. Lots of scoring. Bam. Take it. Lastly, this is the last one I got. South Carolina at LSU. LSU is back. Over-under is 59.5. South Carolina is going to get some points. LSU is going to put up bunches of points. Okay? LSU is probably going to score around 40-some. South Carolina will at least get 20. LSU wins and the over hits. And that's what I got for this upcoming weekend. There's so many more games that the Big Ten's back. It's so uh, – I love it. It's super it's super exciting. I'm going to start with my Texas – I got Texas Tech. Who's Texas Tech playing, Jake? Playing West Virginia, right? Yep. Yes, they are. I want Texas Tech and the plus three points. 
again, I don't know this West Virginia team. I don't know what to expect, man. They're an enigma. They are. I don't know. I don't know what to think with them. Texas Tech can score points, even though West Virginia has been playing solid defense. I would say. I think Texas Tech's going to get theirs three points. Given it, I mean, if West Virginia somehow sneaks out and wins by a field goal, and I take a push there, I'm okay with that. I'll roll with it. But I think Texas Tech could win that game outright. Big Ten. Maryland Northwestern. Northwestern's leg 11 points here. Give me Maryland plus 11. Northwestern doesn't win by that much, especially the first week. It's going to be 19-10 Maryland. I'll take the points there with that. I don't think Northwestern is going to destroy Maryland as many people think. And it's going up. It's going to continue to go up too because people were hammering uh, Northwestern early on. I think it opened at minus eight. Now to the team that I think has – well, maybe, arguably, one of the better defenses in the SEC, Kentucky. Kentucky minus five and a half over Missouri. Now, Missouri's an interesting team because people are going to be high on them because they played Alabama tough. Tennessee kind of destroyed them. Then they go in and beat LSU. No one really knows what the heck's going on down there. But I like this Kentucky defense. I think they stifle that Missouri offense. They put up points. I mean, man, did they look ridiculous. I think they have nine interceptions in the stat is in the last two weeks. I think that trend continues. I like Kentucky minus five and a half there. Two games, that, one game that you hit on Miami, 11 and a half there. It looks like a trap game, but I'm with it. I think the Canes are almost all the way back, so I'm going to continue. I want to see where that hits. Or Sorry, I want to see where that and the Notre Dame line go. Because I have a feeling those lines are going to raise. Because we, I got them today, and I just feel like those those spreads are going to go up. Yeah, especially the way both teams were kind of kind of didn't play well last week at all. I mean Notre Dame especially, Miami. Pitt's a, Pitt has a tough defense, they but they're so banged up on offense, especially in that quarterback position. I don't think they're going to be able to score with anyone. I think Notre Dame is going to be able to put up some points like Miami did, and it's just going to end up being too much. And they'll, they'll sneak it out. They'll maybe win by 17, which isn't a sneak out, but it's enough to cover in this sense. Oh, so I like that one too. So the Miami-Notre Dame games, I'm on too. Listen, we tell, I tell everyone on here, always take the points in Kansas State. Never lay the points with Kansas State. But this week you lay the points with Kansas State because they're playing probably the worst team in college football, and that's Kansas. Minus 19 and a half. I think this is a statement game for Kansas State. While Kansas kind of showed signs a little bit early on last week that they might be figuring something out there with Les Miles, I don't think they're going to figure anything out there for a long time. I think Kansas State continues on an upward trend and destroys Kansas in Manhattan. Finally, I got Michigan, minus two and a half. This is going to be an interesting one. I don't know how – again, I could really see Minnesota running this game out right here, but I just have a funny feeling that Michigan, they're going to win the first one to get everyone thinking that they're back and they're, people are going to start jumping on the bandwagon. You're going to hear everyone talk about Michigan on ESPN for the whole week. I think that's how it's going to end up this week, but I could be completely wrong with that one. So unless you know something I don't know out there, bet at your own caution with that one. And then finally – Hawaii's back. <laughs> Hawaii's no back. Is Hawaii back? 
Why he plays Fresno oh, State? And you expect God. me not yeah. to take the, at Fresno State? Unfortunately, oh, I wish it was on the island. Never bet against Hawaii on the island. But Hawaii's back. I honestly don't know much about Hawaii this year or Fresno State. But you know damn well I'm taking the over. I'm taking the over sixty-four and a half. Without a doubt, I'm taking that over. And I wish. okay, and uh, sorry, keep going. One more. Um, actually, two more. I'm sorry. UNLV and San Diego State. These are your two night games. UNLV and San Diego State, Air Force, San Jose State. You never bet against the academy. But I like San Jose State a lot in this one. I'm not sure yet. We'll see where I'm at Saturday. This one might be an ad depending on how the day is going. I might add San Diego State plus seven they're getting there at home. UNLV, San Diego State now on the other hand. The over is 49 here, and I don't know why. San Diego State has a solid defense from what I remember mm-hmm. last year. I don't know how much they have coming back in terms of returning starters, but I feel like there should be some points in this game. 49 seems way too low for a night game for me, so I think I'm definitely going to take the points there and take the over 49 to see how that one gets there. And then finally, I said it a bunch already. I'm looking up. I'm looking it up right now. What the Rutgers money line play is. I hope this hits. If you're willing to take a chance, all you people out there, uh, plus four twenty. It's not as big as I thought, so I still take it. Um, lay, sprinkle a little something on Rutgers money line for a Cots upset this week. That's my big upset. That's what I got, and that's a lot. Whew! Full cards this week. That's for sure. Full cards. Full cards. All right. Let's quickly. Touch on the National Football League and some of the headlines coming out of this week. And I want to start with one game and then one big decision, and then we can maybe make this a Dolphins podcast for the last five minutes. First things first, Bucks Packers. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers are going to be very scary if their defense continues to play like that. We knew Tom Brady eventually was going to figure it out with his weapons. That defense is good, and they had the best – okay, second-best defensive player in all the NFL on that team behind Aaron Donald. So, I'm – man, the Bucs look good. Packs, Bucs, maybe a preview of the NFC championship game. Who knows? Possibly. Possibly. Packers look terrible. But, you know what? Packers are my Super Bowl prediction to win it all this year. But you know what? Why I'm not as worried – you need a game like this in the NFL. It's a long season. They were doing everything right, so right, playing too well, actually. You need a game that brings you back down to earth and it makes you go back to the grind and continue to come out and play better than they did before. So they needed a game like this. You need a little uh, bring you back down to earth type of game, and they got that game with that Bucks defense. What do you think? I know Bucks, I believe, were your Super Bowl pick. I think you were on the bandwagon there with the Bucks. Did I? You don't remember your picks? Yeah, you took no. you definitely took the Bucks. Did I definitely take the Bucks? Are you sure? Definitely took the Bucks. And you took someone weird in the AFC. Probably Ra- Chiefs or Ravens. No, not weird. You took like Chiefs or Ravens and Bucks. Oh no, I I think I took Bucks. I think I w- it was Bucks Ravens. Yeah, that sounds right. Um, so how do you feel about the Bucks and this team? Uh, defense is looking good. Tom Brady's starting to figure it out. Uh, I, I think the Packers played terrible. Um, but 
you know, if Tom Brady's starting to figure out his weapons, um, like you were saying, and that defense is really starting to click even better than they were in the beginning of the year. And if that's the case, then, hey, yeah, Tampa Bay's scary. Tampa Bay's scary. The Packers are still scary, man. I don't care what anyone says. They're still a really good team mm-hmm. with Aaron Jones, with Rodgers. They're still a good team. I think they're going to – I'm still very confident in my pick that they get to the Super Bowl there. I, I think Rodgers is still on a mission. He played bad yesterday. I think he rebounds next week and delivers another big game. Um, one other thing that's making headlines here, Texans-Titans. <laughs> I'll get into Romeo. I'll get into Romeo Cornell uh, in a little bit. Let's not talk about him because I'll, I'll deal with him at a later date. <laughs> Let's talk about Rabel here and Mike Rabel's decision. What did you think of that whole sequence and him kind of almost playing a trick not only on his team and his players because the cornerback was kind of you know, fighting him to go in there, and he was forcing him to go in and be the twelfth man on the field. What do you think about that whole thing coming from a former coach? Well, no, it's current coach, especially on the defensive side of the ball. What do you think about that whole sequence? Obviously, it ends up paying out and working out for them in the end. But is it a risky move there to do that? I mean, exactly, because the guy doesn't know what's going. Like, if the player doesn't know, like if he's not in on it or whatever, that if if. A sideline is so chaotic, and if anything you say can influence a guy to go in or a guy to do something or call a timeout. So if you're saying that and, and, and he runs out there and it's 12 men, you're going to look like a complete idiot, you know. But, I mean, I guess it paid off, so. I mean, it's from yeah, – I mean, he's from, he's from the Belichick coaching tree. Belichick would just take a bunch of penalties and stuff and do things out of the ordinary that made everyone always think, what the hell is he doing? And then it would pay off and end up working out in the end. It's interesting. I, I, find, it, I find it hard to believe. I just, I just think it's a, it's a – for lack of a better word, it's a gutsy move because – you're pretty much, in a way, conceding that your team's going to give up the points and they're going to score. You're pretty much almost saying, okay, I know my defense isn't going to stop them, so I'm going to let them score here just to give me enough time and then go down and tie the game, which is another story. But <laughs> it's an interesting call there. And it, I mean, it works out, but, I mean, at what cost? I mean, I, I, I just find it fascinating that he sent the guy in Guys like, Coach, I'm going to be the 12th man on the field. I don't care. Go in. Uh, Jonathan Joseph has no clue what's going on. So that's hilarious. I mean, it ends up working out. Vrabel looks like a king. The Titans are for real. They lose Taylor Luan for the season, it looks like. So that's a big blow yeah, to them. That's, that's a huge blow. Um, all right. What's your biggest takeaway from this week in the NFL? That – the Bucks are 100% for real. That any doubt we may have had previously, I think that was a statement game, and they are for real. That and the Miami Dolphins 
might be a playoff team. Well, I mean, I don't I know. Wanna, I mean, I, I know it was the Jets. I know it was the Jets, but I mean, hey, hey, I'm starting to believe. I'm starting to believe. Hey, I don't, I don't want to, you know, sound like a genius, but I mean, who won? Who who picked them to win a division? And hey, guess what? Your third favorite NFL team just lost, so we are officially one game out of the division. My third favorite NFL team, the Bills. They, just they are lost. not. How, <laughs> how can you say they're my third? Josh Allen did not look good. He did not look good. He did um, not look good. But they lost. Dolphins are officially one game out of the division. Two saw his first action, which was almost shed a tear in my eye. Heartwarming. The video of him coming back on and FaceTiming his parents because they couldn't be there. Oh, that cult. That culture is what we need. More of that um, Samoan culture in the states that's what the united states needs uh to continue to get better as a country um my biggest takeaway though from this past week and it's going to be a controversial one okay okay Okay. actually maybe not i saw in an early game the worst performance by both starting quarterbacks of both teams that i think i've ever saw watching a game and there's definitely worse performances out there and definitely by far worse performances that have happened in the past but I think I watched some of the worst quarterback play this past week in the Bears Panthers game Teddy Bridgewater did not look good Nick Foles man hate to break it to everyone in Philly who loves him he's not a good quarterback he did not look good the Bears are the biggest frauds going they the should be frauds. The fraud word. They're they're the biggest frauds going in the NFL right now. They could easily be zero and six. Could easily be. And but I they're get, not. But they're not. I don't care. Well, it's going to be like every every year for them. They'll they'll continue to win, and then when they have to run into good teams, um, they'll get smoked. That was just an ugly game all around. I will say we talked about it last week. Though Carolina's got a good future, though. I don't know if Bridgewater's the guy. Am I being a little bit biased because I? Not a fan of Bridgewater, maybe, but even Foles looked bad. It was an ugly game from the quarterback position in that one. Good defenses game. I mean, they both played against really good defenses. I'll take that into account. But you may neither quarterback, neither team made any adjustments there. Um, I don't know. Panthers are in a better spot than the the than the Bears. I'll say. Um, because maybe they have a quarterback in Bridgewater moving forward, even though I'm not sold on him. The Bears don't know what they're going to do in the future. Um, so that's my biggest takeaway from this past week. Also, I don't think the Ravens are as good as we think they are. The Baltimore Ravens may not be as good as we think they are. They're not as good as they were last year. They don't have that run game that I trust like I did last year to help uh, Lamar open things up. If things weren't going well, you could ground and pound it with Ingram and folks. He's banged up. I don't know. It's going to be interesting. They still have a really good defense, but I don't know if this is the year. And I, I picked the Steelers to win the division. I still think Steelers win the division. Ravens still get in a wild card spot. They'll be fine. But I don't know if they, if it becomes a trend where maybe the Ravens are in the Lamar team. Don't get out of the first round of the playoffs. Maybe that keeps happening. No, I, I think Baltimore, Baltimore's for real. I think 
I think Baltimore still wins that division. Listen, Pittsburgh's good. Pittsburgh is very good. Their offense with those young receivers is looking rejuvenated with an aging Big Ben. I think their defense is still very solid. Um, but, yeah, um, I, I think Steelers get in wild card. I still think Baltimore wins the division. There's no ch- I'll tell you right now, there's no chance the Ravens win that division. I mean, I wouldn't be. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if I wouldn't be surprised if the Steelers win the win the division over the Ravens. But I, I just think the Ravens are are better. I think the Ravens are better. There's no right now. What ha, on what ground? Because right now the Steelers have better quarterback play. They have a better running game. They have better receivers, and they have a far better defense than the Ravens right now. That defense is ball hawking, and that front seven and that D line is out of its mind. I think I think Ravens got a better kicker, if you want to count that. But I mean I don't know what ground you stand on with that. I think no, I think Lamar will be the difference maker in the Pittsburgh game. Oh. And I, I think and I think defensively, I think that they will be able to force Ben to make throws he is uncomfortable making down the field okay and if that happens I think that Baltimore has a shot to win that game oh yeah they'll they'll probably they'll probably split the series I mean there's going to be two really good games I just don't think the Ravens right now as of today five and one Ravens are a better team than the Steelers right now I think the Ravens are still a really good team they're still going to make the playoffs I just don't think they're as good as everyone thinks they are I think we'll they see. have some flaws. All right. Who you got this week for your game ball? Oh, game ball. I can't wait to give this one, man. Game ball this week goes to Ryan Tannehill, baby. Uh, four touchdowns, 364 yards. Big comeback win against the Houston Texans. Ryan Tannehill gets my game ball this week. It's nice to see Ryan Tannehill continue to do. Dude, I love well. seeing him succeed just because of all the crap he took in Miami. I mean, I he, he did he did take a lot of crap. He he had, I mean, for context, he had Joe Philbin as a head coach, and then he had, well, Dan Campbell for an interim season, which is awesome. Shout out Dan Campbell. Um, and then Adam Gase. So Ugh. good to see him in a good um, structure there with – some good coaching, good running game, Absolutely. good receiver around him, good defense. Look at what he can do when you have the pieces around him. Uh, I'm super happy for him. That's a good one. All right, mine. I mean, while I love the Tannehill pick, I think there was only, in my opinion, I thought there was only really one clear winner this week, and it should have been Brad McManus. Six for six in field goals. You beat – and maybe the whole Broncos team, really. You beat the Patriots. Granted, it's not the Patriots or the Tom Brady's in the past. But you beat the Patriots and you don't even score a touchdown. Has that ever happened? Has that ever happened? I mean, we might get the, the staff person to look that up. But, I mean, six for six in field goals along a 54. Scored all the points. And he beat the New England Patriots 18-12. to 12. I mean, That's awesome. Kickers are awesome. Kickers are people, too. Uh, quiz. Where's Brad McDaniels from, Jake? Pop quiz. Georgia. Nope. He is from the city of brotherly love, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Oh, he's from Philly. 
shout yeah, out. Philly, another one. Where do you go to college? Nova. Close. Temple. Temple. Close. Damn it. Shout out, Big Five. All right. Well, I think that's all I got for the NFL this week. Let's say we get into this week's interview. All right, folks, it's time to welcome in this week's guest for the episode, David Pindell, former UConn quarterback. David, thanks for joining the show. It's a pleasure to have you on. Uh, no problem. I appreciate you for having me. Awesome. So, Dave, we got a lot to get into, man, but we want to kind of start with first question that we have for you. Kind of take us through what it's like being a JUCO athlete, because I know it's a little bit different coming up through the JUCO ranks. It's getting a little bit more you know, normalized now with the Netflix shows, Last Chance You, and things like that. But from a firsthand experience, what's it like being a JUCO athlete? Um, honestly, you know, being a JUCO athlete is a little different than, you know, a lot of people would uh, assume just going to college because, for one, you know, going JUCO as a football player, from my experience, you don't get all the luxuries of, you know, going to a top five, uh, division one, power five conference school, Whereas, you know, facilities are not the best. The food plans aren't the best. You uh, you don't get the best access to, you know, practice facilities, um, training rooms, all that stuff. You don't get all that luxury. And on top of that, you you know, tutors and uh, the support from an education standpoint, um, that's there, but it's also, you know, you're more on your own doing everything. Whereas, you know, being at a Division One school, you know, all that is, you know, handed to you give it to you support is there and like so within you know fingers fingers reach but um it's a being a ju juco it makes you appreciate a lot more uh it's a second chance and you know i would say it's a blessing because you know a lot of people that have to go juco take juco out you know they'll you know get caught up in being there that you know frustrate them things aren't going well and it, it just you know drop out and then just be done with it and like like you know they give up from based off my experience, but um, for, I would say it was a blessing because you know it was an opportunity for me to you know start over, start my career over, and you know build a new name for myself, a new path for where I wanted to go and where I was going. And you know, basically, all it took was you know hard work and just stay committed to the grind and just you know do everything the right way, stay on top of everything. And you know, I was able to, I was fortunate enough to you know get recruited and it got me to UConn. And from there, it got me to, you know, the position I'm in today, right now. Yeah, cool. All right, David. Um, so you come out of Lackawanna as, as one of the – honestly, one of the best quarterbacks in JUCO. Um, you know, for all, uh, all the listeners out there, uh, David and I knew each other back in the Lackawanna days when he was playing JUCO. Um, I was a young coach. He was uh, one of the best quarterbacks in junior college, I think, in 2016. But – uh, so, David, when you came out, um, you know, you, you had a couple different offers. You know, what, what attracted you to UConn? Um, I would say number one thing that attracted me to UConn, besides, you know, the coach and everything, was I wanted to make my own decision. Mm -hmm. I wanted to do something that was, uh, you know, where I felt like I could – start my own, like I said, I wanted to build my own legacy and build a name for myself. Mm -hmm. And that's the, that's probably the biggest decision for me when it came to where
where I committed to. That was one of the biggest decisions. I wanted to go somewhere where I could, you know, start fresh and build for me because I think I had about 12, 13 offers, mm-hmm. but um, I narrowed it down to UConn and Temple. And the biggest thing between UConn and Temple was, you know, I went to my visit Temple. Um, the quarterback, P.J. Walker, who currently plays for the uh, Carolina Panthers, right. he um, he had set so many records there. And, you know, they were on a they were on a, a winning streak. We came right. from a bowl game. And they just – everything was just going right for that program. And, you know, everybody just spoke highly of P.J. And I met P.J. He's a good dude and everything. And I respect his game. I like watching him. Mm-hmm. So I just felt like, you know, if I committed there, if I went there, I'd be basically filling his shoes. I would have big shoes to fill. Right. And I'm, I'm, I'm no stranger to, you know, taking on a challenge. But for me, my decision was I just wanted to go somewhere where, you know, I could start my own legacy, build my own name, right. and, you know, live my own fo- leave my own footprints. So when I when I went to my visit to UConn, um, it was literally the opposite situation. You know, they weren't winning a bunch of games, haven't been to a bowl game in years. Quarterback situation is like they're still trying to find the quarterback, and it's just like they came they they just now coming off a what a three and eight season. So it just felt like you know that's the perfect place to you know go in there, compete for the starting job, and you know build a name for myself. So that was that's what I took into consideration when I committed to UConn. No, obviously, I mean, you'll always want to go to a place that, like you said, you can make your own footprint and, you know, be your own guy and not have to worry about kind of being compared to someone else. Um, Was it tough getting uh, chemistry with some of those UConn guys at first, being that you're a, you know, you came in your junior year and, you know, quarterbacks, most of them, they're going to be there from their freshman year on and they kind of build that rapport with everyone. Was it kind of difficult at first? Yeah, it was it was very difficult because I was the you know I was the new dude. I was the one dude that uh, was the new to the campus because you know you got the guys that's already there, and then you have the incoming freshmen who come with you know that whole class. So you know they kind of familiar with each other. And then I was just the one dude who came in from a junior college, the only junior college transfer. Mm-hmm. So I was like I was in the middle where you know freshmen have their group of guys they combine with. Mm-hmm. The dudes who's already they have their group people that they bond with and then you have this junior college transfer who's you know just new there and he's the quarterback so it's like the head position so it was hard to you know just get in there and just you know build chemistry because these guys like they didn't know me I didn't know them they had to get a feel for me whether or not they would like me or not and you know did they want me to be their quarterback or anything but um you know that summer when I when I went there I went there in 2017 in May, when I got to campus, you know, we uh we had summer school and summer classes, and that was when I, you know, kind of got a feel for the guys. They started inviting me to, you know, throw with them and do the seven on sevens with them, and I think that's that's really what helped me, you know, kind of build a relationship with those guys because I was uh I was able to, you know, be in the dorms with them over the summer, talk to them, um, talk to them and everything. Uh, just sit in the rooms with them at nighttime, just get a feel for them. They introduced me to the plays, the coaches, how everything went about. And, you know, doing that consistently day in and day out, it's like, okay, we got comfortable with each other. And then, you know, we started throwing on a regular, calling each other when we wanted to throw. And then from there on, it helped me, you know, get more comfortable with them and get them also comfortable. We also have uh, Coach Lastly get a feel for me and get more comfortable with me because he recruited me and I was going to be his quarterback that year. So. 
Yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. Um, you know, when you were at UConn, um, you were, you broke the record for most rushing yards ever by a, uh, UConn quarterback. Was that something you kind of tracked or, you know, was it just like kind of like another day for you or another game for you? Say that one more time. I couldn't hear. Okay. So <laughs> um, when you were at UConn, um, you broke, what was it? The single season record for rushing yards in a season by any quarterback. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, was that something you tracked? Like, did you know before the game, like, okay, like I'm going to do it this game. Like, were you tracking it or was it just another, another, just another game for you? Uh, I wasn't tracking it. I, I never, I didn't even have that in my mind. That wasn't even one of my goals that I wrote. Uh, at the beginning of the season. It just, you know, we figured out our identity on offense, what we did well and what we couldn't do well. And I think one of the things we did well was, you know, put the ball in my hands. So we just did that, and it was so effective that, you know, day in and day out in practice and in the games, it's just like uh, run the ball, break for 20, 30, take it for a whole field. And then we, it, just, it just transferred over to the game. And, you know, each game, you do that, you know, run for at least 100, 150 yards a game, 10 games, you know, you're bound to get over 1,000 yards. And then it just happened to, you know, yeah. uh, they, they brought it up one day and told me, and I was, I was shocked. Yeah. That's <laughs> awesome. And, like, I was, you know, I, I'd always be tuning in on Saturdays, you know, seeing, okay, hey, when's UConn playing? All right, they're on ESPN2 or they're on uh, ESPN3. Always wanted to make sure I was watching you playing, man. That was the thing. Ball was in your hands. You got flushed out, and then you'd get like twenty-five yards. You know, you were fun, you were a fun. You were a fun guy to watch, man. Oh yeah, appreciate that. Thank you. So, David, uh, I have a two-part question for you. The first one is, you played against a lot of big schools, a lot of good schools at your time at UConn. What was the toughest D you ever went up against? And then also, in that same vein, what was the craziest, most you know, energetic atmosphere in a road game that you ever played against while at UConn? Oh, um, that's easy. The toughest atmosphere and the toughest defense I played against was Boise State. Ooh. We played against Boise. On the we turf. Went out, yep, on the blue turf. Yeah. We played them uh, second game of the season, 2018. We went out there, flew out there to the blue turf. And, you know, when we came out in the locker room for uh, warm-ups, their stadium, so they, I think they're playing like a bowl, so they hold a good, yeah. what, 50,000, 60,000, and they feel – they filled their stadium up every week. Mm-hmm. So when we came off warm-ups, it was just it was just loud. It was echoes everywhere. And it's like we we didn't plan that week to, you know, go silent count. But after warm-ups, our coaches said, hey, we're just going to go silent count. Mm-hmm. So when we went silent count that whole game. I think the first the first half of the game, we probably had 12, 13 false start penalties because we just, we just couldn't hear each other. Center couldn't communicate with me when we did the snap count and everything. So it just, you know, it was just a frustrating atmosphere. Then on top of that, that defense was really athletic. They were very disciplined. So a lot of the zone reads that we tried to do wasn't working. I probably probably only ran for probably 30, 40 yards that game. And it was just their 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 all pass coverage was just hard. So that night was just this is a horrible night that night. It was just a very hard defense we played against. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a tough team. They were ranked that year. And I their Alex Madison, their running back is now in the Vikings having a good career. That's a Team with a lot of pros, so I can imagine going up against that team, how tough that was. Yeah, Alex Madison, he was a – yeah, he's the running back. He's in Minnesota. In fact, I was up there with him last year for minicamp. Mm-hmm. And um, that quarterback, Brett Ripon, he, he's yeah. really – for the Broncos, mm-hmm. he was a beast too. So, it was – they just – it was just tough that year Yeah, with them. So, 
speaking of that mini camp being up there in Minnesota, let's kind of transition a little bit to you after uh, your time at UConn. So I know you bounced around a little bit, some NFL camps, uh, Minnesota, Bucks, Bears. Um, talk to us a little bit about what that was like, what that experience is like in an NFL camp. And then also I know some teams wanted you to kind of, because you're so athletic, because you're an athlete, kind of try out new positions, try different positions. What's that mentality like? What's your mindset when, you know, you're asked to do all these things on the field? Um, at first, when I, when, I, when I heard about it, um, my first instinct was, you know, I just wanted to go to the NFL, make a dream come true. So, you know, I listened to what my coach said, my agent was saying. They were saying, you know, the best thing, best way for me to make a roster is, you know, just switch my position and, you know, do what they tell me to do, be whatever position they want to play. So, I, you know, I, took, I went along with it and I just said, you know, I just, you know, I do it because, hey, I'm living a dream. I'm going to be on the NFL team. So, I just, you know, I did it. So Tampa Bay, they called me. I talked to probably almost 24 teams during the draft week, and they all were just saying the same thing. Hey, would you be willing to, you know, play some receiver or some punt return or special teams up here? And I was just hearing that from all teams, every team that called me. So I was like, you know, I have no problem doing that. And then the last team that called me was the Vikings. Coach Kubiak, the quarterback coach, he called me, and he – he said the same thing. He said, we think you're a really good athlete, and I'm sure a lot of teams contact you about being an athlete, but honestly, I think you could throw the ball too, but we want to bring you up as a quarterback. So in my mind, I'm like, this is perfect. This is exactly what I want. So called him, contacted him, set it up. Went there for mini camp, and I was up there as a quarterback. So, you know, during the meetings, walkthroughs and everything, I'm learning the quarterback playbook. I'm in the quarterback meetings, learning everything from the quarterback uh, role. And then, you know, I stepped on the field the first, the first day of practice. And during warm-ups and stretching, the offensive coordinator, he just – he said, yeah, we, um, we just want you to go with the running backs today. So they had me playing running back. And then the whole week I was up there, I was just playing running back. I got no snaps at quarterback. They never got to see me throw the ball or anything before. So it was frustrating being up there as a running back. Then I went down to Tampa Bay. And I had already knew I was playing some receiver down there. So I, was, I wasn't as, you know, frustrated because, like, I, they told me they, they told me I was going to be playing receiver and some special teams down there. And if, if possible, might get some reps at quarterbacks. So I was like, okay. So I got there. I was playing receiver. I was doing well, you know. I was catching the ball well. I was probably one of the fastest receivers down there. You know, Coach uh, Antoine Randall, he's the one who brought me in. He liked me a lot. So it was cool. I was adjusted to it and everything. But, you know, after they cut me, then that's when I realized, you know, I wasn't having fun with it. I was like, I don't have fun playing a position that I'm not. Like, quarterback is what I love. I get excited about going to practice and learning how to be a better quarterback day in and day out. But, you know, being a running back and being a receiver, I was just dreading the practices. I was just looking, waiting for the time to, you know, just be over so practice could be over. So that's when I realized, you know, I got to do what I love to do, and it's quarterback. So if it's not quarterback, I'm not going to enjoy it. I'm not going to have fun with it. So that's when I realized, you know, Changed my position and everything is uh, I, I basically was listening to what everybody else wanted me to do rather than what I wanted to do. So, you know, after that, it was it was hard because, like, um, I wanted to live an NFL dream, you know, going to NFL. But it's like I want to do what I, I love also. So that's why, you know, when I left Tampa Bay and I talked to any other team from any league, I said I'm strictly a quarterback. I told my agent I'm strictly playing quarterback. I don't want to play anything else. So then, you know. 
CFL team picked me up. I signed up with Montreal Alouettes as a quarterback. The coach, he up there, he liked me and everything, and he liked my athleticism, the arm and everything. You know, I had fun up there. I was up there for the last three seasons of the games. But then they ended up signing quarterback Vernon Adams to a big deal, so they couldn't re-sign me. So, which left me, you know, this year after, before COVID happened, you know, I was training and I was uh, scheduled to work out for three different CFL teams and then um, a couple XFL teams as a quarterback, which I was, you know, looking forward to, excited about. And then, unfortunately, COVID happened and, you know, lost contact with a bunch of these teams. But looking forward to 2021 and, you know, new opportunity and new things to go about. Definitely. You know, that's a good segue. And but I have one follow-up question, and you kind of hit on it a little bit, but I just want to ex- see if you could expand on the experience of, you know, there's, what, 255 players that get drafted in the NFL. So a lot of people come into camps as undrafted free agents, guys trying to make the team. Is that kind of what the experience was like for you? You know, there's all these teams interested in you, you talking with your agent, you trying to see where the best fit for you might be. Is that kind of how that experience all plays out? Uh, say that one more time. So, like, the the experience trying to get into these training camps, you know, after if you're not a drafted guy, if you're not going in there, you have a lot of teams interested in you. Are you just kind of trying to look at the best experience or where you might fit best for that team? Or are you looking at maybe, oh, I want to play quarterback, so these guys don't have a backup, might be a good fit there? Or how, how are you evaluating where you kind of want to go at the next level? Um. For, for first off, my first priority is quarterback. Whoever mm-hmm. brings me in as a quarterback, that's where I'm going automatically. Then from there on, if I have options, then it goes based off, you know, who's going to allow me to, you know, showcase my talents or what I can do or give me opportunity to, you know, compete. But I'm not looking that far right now. You know, my main priority is just, you know, somebody signed me as a quarterback because that seems to be the hardest thing you know, sign it as a quarterback. It's easy for a team to, you know, bring me in and sign me as an athlete, but I'm not, I don't, I'm not looking for that. I'm looking for opportunity as a quarterback because I'm not going to play quarterback. Uh, I've proven I can play quarterback and, you know, that's what I've been training as. I've never played in the other position or trained as in the other position. So that's just my normal priority. Who's willing to bring me in and let me play quarterback for them? No, makes sense, man. Um, so, Obviously, you know, I, I follow you on social media and I wake up one morning, I'm going through and I see you're throwing passes to Des Bryant. Um, so when did that happen? How did you get in contact with him? And um, how did that like all come to be? Um, so I met him down when I was in Miami. Mm-hmm. We, uh, I was down there for my training for draft prep. He was down there and he was working with a TA do Gofi Global, and I met him down there, and we had a relationship. So um, we uh, we started following each other on Instagram, you know, chatting and stuff. And then he uh, he actually invited me to Dallas back in April, but I wasn't getting on any flights because of, you know COVID, because he wanted me to come down there and throw with him. But um, he has had his, he had a workout scheduled in Baltimore for the Ravens, and I had seen it on uh, Twitter and everything. So I had uh, I seen. He had already landed in Baltimore, like, as soon as I seen that tweet and everything. So I just hit him. I was like, yeah, if you're in Baltimore, let's, uh, let's get some work in. Let's throw because I know you got a workout. So if you want, you know, probably want to get your hands ready and everything. He's like, yeah, bro, definitely want to get some work in. Let's throw. So, you know, he just – he set up the time. It was like 1 o'clock. I'm like, bam, I got a field. We can go to Howard High School. 
and he met me there. We got some working, we talked, chatted, and you know, we he uh he said some good things about me. He looked amazing. And um we got some film, we took some pictures and we just we just t- chatted for another 45 minutes and got to know each other. And then he uh he wants me to come back. He wanted me to come back out this month, sometime this month out to Dallas, but um you know, we just I just got to figure out what's the best time for me because he still wants to come out there. And he said he has an idea that we he wants me in on. And also, he he wants me to get some work in for him. So, you know, still, you know, talking with him and just seeing where things go and um, go from there. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. So, and I know you kind of touched on this a little bit, but so what's in store going forward for David Pindell? What can we expect um, going forward in 2000, 2021, next year? Um. Well, so far – since COVID happened and, you know, CFL canceled their season for 2021 and they're not letting players come back into the uh, country. What I did was I signed with this, this arena team for January. I signed with the Columbus Lions of the uh, official arena league. So I'll be playing there in January. And the plan is since their season goes until end of April, May, when mini camp starts, the plan is, you know, go there, get some film, and, you know, make it through healthy and then go straight to NFL minicamp. So it's an opportunity for me to get film, play quarterback, and, you know, just keep my feet wet. And they also pay really well. So it's just you know, another football opportunity, professional football, until, you know, I get back in the NFL. So that's the plan going forward. Definitely. Hey, keep climbing that ladder, man. Keep grinding. Absolutely. I love it. I love it. So, David, you ready for the fast four? Four questions, man. Don't think about it. Just answer. You ready? Okay. All right, would you rather throw against primarily zone coverage or man-to-man coverage? Man-to-man. 60-yard pass for a TD or 60-yard run for a TD? 60-yard run. (laughs) Love it. All right, start, bench, and cut. I'm going to give you three names. you got to start one, bench one, and cut one. Lamar Jackson, Deshaun Watson, Russell Wilson. This is a tough one. Start Russell Wilson, bench Lamar. Cut Deshaun Watson. All right. Easier than I thought. All right. All yeah. right. Since you're, since you're a Maryland guy, steamed blue crabs or crab cakes? If you like seafood. Neither. Neither? I was going to say, if you like seafood. Anything good for Maryland we should let the listeners know? Any good spots out there food-wise? Um, nothing. Out the, that's not out the ordinary. I mean, I eat IHOP. <laughs> that's about it. I don't eat I seafood. Love it. Yeah. I love it. All right, man. Well, David, I appreciate you coming on. Jake appreciates you coming on, man. It was a pleasure talking with you, man. Best of luck in the future. No, absolutely. I appreciate you guys. Anytime yeah. you want me to do one again, that's my schedule, and, you know, I'm always welcome to do one. Appreciate it. For sure, Definitely, man. David, good talking to you again, man. Hey, you take care. Same to you, Coach Myers. Good seeing you. <laughs> hey, good seeing you, man. Thanks, David. All right, this week's list. Jacob, tell the folks what we got for them. All right, this week's list is brought to you by the Thrive Fantasy app. Thrive Fantasy is a daily fantasy app that only deals with the top-tier athletes, so it appeals to the casual viewers as well as the diehard sports fans as well. Remember to put in promo code JUKE. That's right, JUKE. J-U-K-E. And Thrive will give you a free $20 if you deposit $20 or more. That's right, you are betting with free Money if you put in the Juke promo code. So download the Thrive Fantasy app to make your sports experience more exciting. So 
This week's list, Cox. Since the Big Ten is back. Big Ten's back. Big Ten's back. We are going to do our list on the best Big Ten rivalries, excluding Michigan and Ohio State, the game. I feel like it's always talked about Michigan-Ohio State is one of the greatest rivalries in all of college football, in all of sports. So we are excluding the game. So we're going to find out what is the second best in the Big Ten. The game is the best. It's hands down. It's one of the best rivalries in all the sports. So why should we settle on that number one knowing into it? Let's expand a little bit. Let's find out what the next best game is. So let's do it. All right, let's do it. I'm going to kick this baby off. Um, the Little Brown Jug game, number five, Michigan versus Minnesota. Uh, it's one of the oldest trophies, the Little Brown Jug. Um, this rivalry was played every single year from 1929 to 1998. Um, Michigan has dominated this contest, um, even though, even though the Gophers are going to beat Michigan this Saturday. The, Mich- uh, the Minnesota Golden Gophers will win this, this Saturday, but uh, this is my number five, the Little Brown Jug game. I like that game a lot, and I love that, and I'm super excited for it this Saturday. We're on opposite ends of who we think is going to win that game. As much as I hate Michigan and I think Harbaugh should be fired, I think, you, I think Minnesota is a lesser team this year, and that game is a lot closer than many anticipate. The only reason I don't have it on my list, um, I have it as an honorable mention, and the only reason why is it's, it's just so lopsided. It's so lopsided yeah, it of a series in there. But it's a good one for number five. Um, number five, I'm going to keep it a little bit local to Illinois here. I'm going to go with the Land of Lincoln Trophy, Northwestern at U of I. Ooh. When you think of yes. college football in Illinois, I'm just talking Illinois here. Yeah. While there's a lot of schools, there's Southern Illinois, Northern Illinois, who, was, who had a great stretch in the mid-2000s, 2010, 2011 as a team. There's two schools when you talk about Illinois. Sports, and then where did you go to school? It's either the U of I, University of Illinois, or Northwestern. I love this matchup. One, because neither is a big power in the conference. I love uh, Pat Fitzgerald. He's a great coach, a former linebacker at Northwestern. And also, it's a tight series. Illinois holds a slight advantage, 55-52 in the series. I think it's awesome. I love in-state rivalries. Really what? The series? The series? Yeah, I I would think you said Illinois is winning 55-52? Yep. I I find that – I mean, I'm not downing you because I I know you looked it up. But um, I find it a little hard to believe just because of – Northwestern has had some bad years in the past. And I feel like Illinois, you know, Dick Buckkiss and um, everyone, you know, I just feel like Illinois would have a better advantage. Yeah. Better advantage. uh, Have a lot more wins than that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I feel that it should be a little bit more lopsided, but again, why I like it so much is it's so tightly knit games are close. And like I said, teams are never the top of the big 10 year in and year out, Mm -hmm. but when it comes to the battle of the land of Lincoln trophy, it's always a good game. So Northwestern versus Illinois, number five for me. What's that? Do they play for, is that a trophy game? Yeah, it's a, it's a weird looking trophy. It's a, 
Abe Lincoln, controversial figure, but it's like his little top hat <laughs> on top of the trophy. Really? Yeah, I'm trying. For those of you who can't see us, I'm trying to describe it to Jake right now. But yeah, it's a, it's a trophy. Like a top hat? It's like, okay. remember, remember I, I Abe Lincoln? They played, yeah, yeah. I thought they played for an axe. Nah. No? Unless it's new and I'm like, wrong. The suit? No. no, 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 no. Like, I, I, I swore they played like they played for like the Sioux, like the Sioux Battle Act. Maybe that's a different. I don't know. The Big Ten has like four trophy games, so there's a lot of rivalries. Um, a lot of good trophies, uh, which makes college football awesome. That's just one of the little things. Um, okay, so my number. Wait, really four, quick. Wait, really uh, quick. Yeah, it's Minnesota, Wisconsin. You're thinking of the axe. No, that's Paul Bunyan's axe. That's totally different. Well, it's an axe. I'm talking about the Sioux. No, the Sioux axe. The Sioux axe is definitely with Illinois playing somebody. I don't know. Uh, we'll have to look that up at a later date. Um, but my number four is the battle for the old oaken bucket, Indiana versus Purdue. I know what you're thinking. Hey, Myers, that's a – that's a basketball rivalry. No, but hear me out, okay? Goes back to 18 – the rivalry goes back to 1891. They started playing for the old Oakland Bucket in the 1920s. Um, these teams have been in the bottom half of the Big Ten for a, while, a long time. I think Indiana's good this year, and they've had some decent years recently. Uh, Purdue, once in a while, uh, will make a run. But they're usually in the bottom half of the Big Ten, and – no matter how bad these two teams are, both fan bases get really fired up for this game, and it gives meaning to their season if they win the old Oaken Bucket. So I'm putting that at number four. Purdue, Indiana, the old the battle for the old Oaken Bucket. Somehow, some way, even when we disregard the top one in here, we still have one that lines up perfectly. I have the same number four, Indiana and Purdue. Again, I love when – you're, when you're thinking about this, I love in-state rivalries. Again, not a close series. Again, like Jake mentioned, basketball series. Purdue in football destroys Indiana. Um, I think Indiana's getting better. Indiana might win it this year. But, again, 74-41 to 41 overall, Purdue leads the series. They're getting close the last couple years. But, again, in-state rivalries, I love them. When there's a trophy involved, I love it even more. Purdue, Indiana, my number four as well. Um, so, Cots, before we get into number three, mm-hmm. okay, I just did some uh, research here. So, the Illinois versus Northwestern used to play for the Sweet Sioux Tomahawk. Okay? It wasn't an axe. It was a tomahawk. Um, but in 2008 – they stopped um, playing for it because um, NCA mandated Native American imagery deemed hostile and abusive. So they stopped playing for it and they adopted the land of Lincoln trophy in 2009. So we were both wrong and they went from one controversial uh, trophy to maybe another one in some people's political views, but I digress. I mean, there's nothing controversial about Abraham Lincoln. I'm sorry. Eh, depends who you ask. I mean, I guess if you never mind. We're not getting into that today. <laughs> We're not getting into it. But yeah, they used to play for the Sweet Sioux 
tomahawk. I thought it was the tom the Sioux axe. It was the tomahawk, but that was in 2008. Okay, number three, the Floyd of Rosedale game, Iowa versus Minnesota. Uh, the winner of the Iowa Minnesota gets the trophy of a pig. I think that is pretty uh, exciting. Without the two teams. Um, but this all started from the governors of Iowa and Minnesota. Um, they would bet a pig. Whoever wins, um, the other one would have to give the other governor a pig. So that's a little crazy that that used to happen. Um, but this goes back to the 1920s. Uh, Minnesota has a 13-game advantage, and the rivalry is always competitive. Uh, these two teams um, sometimes make runs in the Big Ten, and – they're always decent. Both these teams are always decent, and it's a, it's a competitive game. It's a fun game. It's, it's a great Big Ten rivalry. I do enjoy that. My number three is one that I guess – I don't know. This one's tough for me. I have Minnesota and Wisconsin. Again, Ooh. I like this game. Because it's a little – they're always right on the cusp of being that team in the Big Ten. There's always something that is enticing about this game. Mm-hmm. And there's always a trophy with Minnesota, it seems like, in every it game is. they're in. And there's too many rivalry games to begin with in the Big Ten, which is another issue we have to get into. But That's not an issue. That's not an issue. That's not an issue. That's – that's a good thing. You don't know who your actual rival is when you have five of them, Jake. There, there, there are. You can't be right. Hang on. There are. Um, there's your primary rival, and then you have secondary rivals. Okay. So, like Minnesota's primary rival is Wisconsin. Their secondary rival is Iowa. Again, or I don't know. Michigan. I get what you're saying, and I respect it and I hear you but I feel like you should have one rivalry you should have one person that you rival whether it's in-state even if one team dominates anything it should be you have one main one though every team has one main one has every team has one main rival it should be and then there should be like well except for except for like Nebraska and Penn State like Penn State really doesn't have like yeah they play for trophies in the Big Ten like they play for the governor bell against Minnesota. Again, Minnesota, again, uh, they play for the governor's bell against Minnesota. Uh, they play for the land grant trophy, which is a wonderful, it's just a wonderful piece of art. Um, but they don't have a true rival. Nebraska just got in. They have something with Iowa, but anyway. It's not um, true. Ever. But let me get back has, to Minnesota. Everyone has a primary rival. There's, there's a lot in the Big Ten. We could agree on that. There's a lot. Yeah. Well, they all might be. It's good. Valid or good, not good. We can agree or disagree. I like the, the Badgers and the Golden Gophers rivalry. It's an old one. It dates back to the 1800s. It's a good one. Started out as Slab of Bacon. I mean, come on. Slab of Bacon trophy? Think of a better name. Um, it's a good one. And it's, all, it's pretty evenly matched. I'm not sure on the exact number, but I'm pretty sure it's about 500 across the board. It's a pretty even it's- series. So I enjoy that a lot. Like I said, they're both those teams who every year, one of them is on the cusp, Minnesota last year, Wisconsin the past couple years, always right there on the cusp of being that team in the Big Ten. And there's one of their rivals, who it's usually a Minnesota-Wisconsin game 
that is there to bring them back to life. It's 61 to 62, Wisconsin. And I'll get to that one later. Wisconsin's up 62 to 61 or they're down 61 to 62? 60, no, no, no. They're up. Wisconsin's up 61 to 60. Sorry, 61 to 60. 61 to 60. Okay. Very even. All right. Number, number two. Number two. Um, battle for the Paul Bunyan Trophy. Michigan versus Michigan State. Big brother versus little brother. Um, this has been a lot more exciting the past couple of years. Uh, Michigan State went on that run where they were one of the top teams in the Big Ten for like three, four years. Um, but Michigan has dominated this overall. You know, like I said, Sparty recently has given them fits. Um, but, you know, maybe the last 12 years, I would say. But as Michigan State starts to kind of decline a little bit, um, this rivalry, uh, Big Brother's going to start getting a hold of this rivalry again. But I'm saying the Paul Bunyan trophy, which is a great-looking trophy with actual Paul Bunyan and, like, you have a little Michigan State flag and a little little Michigan flag on the other side. It's a great trophy. It's a great rivalry. It's the Battle of Michigan. It's the battle for the Paul Bunyan trophy. I have it on my list. It's a great one. It's not number two. So I guess if you're hearing this, you know where it's going to be for me. My number two, again – this is where I get into my – I don't know why I like this rivalry more than the one I just talked about. I just told you guys Minnesota-Wisconsin's number three. Mm-hmm. I like Iowa and Wisconsin. And I really like this rivalry mm-hmm. a lot. And I don't know why. Okay. It's, it's nothing great. It's the Heartland Trophy. Again, I love a good trophy. It doesn't seem like it should be that primary, primarily big game, that big rivalry. But again, mm-hmm. when you're looking at these rivalries and you're trying to boil them down to primary, secondary, however you want to look at all these Big Ten rivalries, right? I love this. I just love this rivalry. It's a, they're always great games. They're always 13-10, 16-12. They're always Big Ten football games when you get Iowa and, the, and them in there. So, I don't know. It's not the biggest one, but to me it's a fun one. And geographically, eh, maybe, maybe not. It's the Heartland. I enjoy it. I think they always have great games. It's the Heartland Trophy. Iowa, Wisconsin, number two for me. I mean, I could see basically in the West because I feel like it's always Wisconsin and, and uh, Iowa now more than ever. More always definitely. coming out of the uh, – yeah, always coming out of the West. I think, uh, you know, Minnesota made a little run last year, but it's usually those two teams. I mean, Nebraska hasn't been good, and those two teams are kind it's of – It's relevant when those two teams play, right? It's relevant yeah, no, the past it is. couple of years, so. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I don't know. I – See, I don't – I guess, yeah, it's a rivalry. It's just not one I kind of think of. It is a great game, though. I'll give you that. It's got a trophy. Um, it does. Yeah, it's like a bull. Is it a bull? What does the bull have to do – or is it like an ox, like the oxen Paul Bunyan has? I think it's I don't know. The Big Ten is in fact The Big Ten is infatuated with Paul Bunyan because there's That's like five different – There's like five the different fact. trophies. There's five different trophies uh, that have some resemblance of Paul Bunyan, uh, which – Leads me to my number one, uh, Paul Bunyan's axe. 
the Battle of Paul Bunyan's Axe, Wisconsin versus Minnesota. To me, that's, the, that's our best one behind Michigan, Ohio State. It's the most evenly matched, like you said, of 61 to 60 Wisconsin, 121 games, and Wisconsin has the one-game advantage. Although since 2000, listen to this, since 2000, Minnesota has only won this game, which is an annual game, three times. Now, I know what you're thinking. Oh, well, that takes away from it. Um, yeah, maybe a little bit in recent years. I think Minnesota with P.J. Fleck, they're going to keep climbing that ladder. They're going to keep rolling that boat, uh, so to speak. Um, but it's an awesome trophy. Even the wins and loss totals and, you know, the, the, the weather up north, uh, one of the best trophies in all of college football. This makes for a great Big Ten game and it is my second the second best outside of michigan ohio state the battle for paul bunyan's axe it's a good one i have it up there i have it up there two in my top three it's a good one but for me i mean my number one and i think if you take out michigan ohio state this should be the number one you hit on a lot of great points we talked about michigan michigan state these two schools are 65 miles apart, which, again, I've said about five times now. I love in-state rivalries. Right. That should be a big key factor. Ann Arbor, East Lansing, it's a hop, skip, and a jump away. Again, it's an old rivalry, which I love, too, when you think about how many we just talked about that have come and gone within the Big Ten. This one dates back, again, to the 1800s. So I love that as well. And they've had some great games. And while Michigan is dominated for the most part, there's always that hope with Michigan State that this is their year. This is the year they're going to be good. I mean, they had a few good seasons to date back, the Connor Cook era. I mean, they were good. They've had some big wins against Michigan. But overall, Michigan's dominated this series. But again, when you look at the logistics of this type of rivalry, it should be at the top of the list. I mean, again, 60 miles apart, Michigan, Michigan State, in-state rivalry. They're never not – one school's never not really, really down. They're always going to make for a competitive game, even though Michigan holds a big advantage and wins losses. Each game's going to be competitive year in and year out, and I think that's why it makes it the best, second best, number one rivalry in the Big Ten. Okay. So I think there's um, a clear top two that we have. Do you have any here. honorable mentions? Yeah. I have UM and Minnesota, which I think was on uh, your list, Michigan and Minnesota. And then yep. I have Penn State and Ohio State. You can't make it a rivalry and, like, you can't put it on this list. But just the way the games have gone the past couple of years and those two teams being mm-hmm. arguably the standard in the Big Ten for the last mm-hmm. decade, you have to – and the games they've had – you have to put Penn State, Ohio State, as an honorable mention. Again, I think I'm want to be clear on this. Penn State probably doesn't have a true rivalry in the Big Ten. They don't. My they opinion. Don't. And they don't. So I think that's a good one. I would love to see it, but again, eh, I'd rather West Virginia Penn. somehow get in the Big Ten and that be their rivalry. <laughs> or Penn. Um Penn well, yeah. Uh yeah, Penn State's I mean People can argue all they want. Penn State's true rivals Pitt. It always was, and then Pitt it always left. will be. <laughs> Right, or sorry, uh, Penn State joined the Big Ten, and then that kind of went out the window. They played for a couple of years in the, in the I think, 2000, 1999, 2000. Um, but 
yeah, that, that's Penn State's true rival. I know Pitt hasn't really done, you know, I know Pitt's been mediocre for like the longest time, but that's Penn, that's the true rival. Pitt, Penn, Pitt people, Pitt people hate, hate Penn State. They hate them. And like Penn State didn't really, like, I remember growing up, like, younger Penn State fans really didn't care about Pitt. And they didn't then play a lot, of, a bunch I, I feel of like. No, they didn't. They didn't. And the Pitt people are just so, like, they just hate Penn State so much because, yeah, Penn State has a lot of arrogant fans. They do. Mm-hmm. And I, it took a lot of the, the tragedies in 2001 for a lot of them to kind of be slapped to reality and say, hey, listen, bad things can happen at your university too. And th- that arrogance has kind of faded a little bit. But Pitt is just – they hate Penn State. And since they hate Penn State, now Penn State – those younger fans now feel the rivalry and now they hate them too. Um, as far as Penn state, Ohio state goes, it's, it's like the not, new era rivalry. In my it's opinion. not, oh, it's not, Ohio state, Ohio state looks at Penn state as listen, this is a team that has, that has been a thorn in our side uh, since they joined the big 10. Um, but as far as the a rivalry goes, like hatred, I don't think Ohio State mm-hmm. hates Penn. Ohio State doesn't hate Penn State. They just think of them as this team is always tough. It's going to be a tough game. And, like, even Penn State fans who hate Ohio State, like, yeah, I root against Ohio State all the time too. But, like, I don't hate them as much as Pitt. Like, if Pitt played Ohio State, I'd hope Ohio State beats them by 50. It's more of – in my opinion, why I have it on my honorable mentions list is it's more of a new era of rivalry in the sense, not necessarily there's hatred between when you go to Ohio State or you go to Penn State, you think this is a game that I'm marking on my schedule because I know there's alumni there, there's people who played in this game, and it's big, it's intense, it's whatever. It's more that this is the game that I need to win so I could potentially go into the BCS Final Four. You know, so that like new era, there's more hatred probably and more of a rivalry between fans because they've been at the top of the Big Ten for the past couple of years. Mm-hmm. That's the kind of way, yeah. the way I see it. But in terms of Ohio State, they already have three other rivalries ahead of Penn State. They don't need another one. Oh, yeah. But to give I Penn mean, State one in the Big Ten, maybe Ohio State in the future. I mean, every year, think about it though. Every year, Penn State has won the Big Ten. They've had to go through and they had to beat Ohio State. And those are the years they won the Big Ten. And that's where Penn State – Penn State wants to be at a place where Ohio State is, where they're constantly in the Big Ten championship. And they're not there yet because they're just a step below Ohio State. But you can make the argument here, or, I mean, just looking at how the things have gone, Penn State has played Ohio State a lot better and a lot closer than Michigan has. Yeah. Um, I would agree. You know, but Ohio State, like when we said about secondary rivalries and primary, Penn State has a bunch of secondary rivalries. They don't have any true ones in the Big Ten. Um, Facts. But so, okay. so our order, uh, Paul, but you you're not on the fence for Paul Bunyan's axe being number one. I could give it a. I could give it number one. Michigan, Michigan State, number two. Um, I mean, that was Michigan, Michigan State was my number two. So, I mean, I mean you're number one. My, I mean, to be fair, I'll get, I love this. To be fair, in-state rivalry, check. Very close to each other, check. Um, recently has been close, check. 
Okay, we can put the Paul Bunyan trophy. So Michigan, Michigan State, number one. But then bat, the, the axe needs to be number two. I agree with that. I think the bigger question is who's number three. I agree with that 100%. I, I, I like – I want something else kind of in state there. I do – even though it was very low, two – we both had Indiana and Purdue. I think it deserves okay, some so credit. Okay, so here we go. We have Indiana, Purdue. I'm sorry. The Heartland Trophy shouldn't be on, in it. I agree with that. That might be a personal preference for me. That's a personal. I could take that loss there. That's a personal preference for Cots. Do we go with the battle for the old Oaken Bucket at number three instead of the Floyd of Rosedale? I really like Indiana and Purdue, man. I really think the old Oaken Bucket is – Dude, let's do it. It's That's fun. Do it. I like it's it. fun. I like it's Indiana, it. it's man. Big Ten football. It's Big Ten football. It's punts. It's 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 sometimes so. It's bad the under. Good. It's thirteen ten. It's, it's the, the under, under every time. All right, all right. Here we go. That's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. We're doing it. All right. Here we go. All right. Our top three. The final list for Big Ten rivalries that are not the game. Number. Three, the battle for the old Oaken Bucket, the Indiana Hoosiers versus the Purdue Boilermakers. Number two, Big Brother versus Little Brother, the battle for the Paul Bunyan Trophy, Michigan versus Michigan State. And, oh, I messed up there. Sorry. (laughs) That was our number one. All right. (laughs) Retract that last, retract that last statement. Uh, Number two, the Paul Bunyan's Axe, Wisconsin versus Minnesota. And then number one, it's Big Brother versus Little Brother. It's the Wolverines versus Sparty. It's the Paul Bunyan Trophy game, Michigan versus Michigan State. All right. Now on to closing statements. It's finally here. We have waited so long. Big Ten football is coming back this Saturday. As the leaves were changing and we did not have Big Ten football, there was something missing. A little piece of everyone. Games ending six to four. Everyone punting 30 times in a game. To crazy outlandish trophies that sometimes don't even make sense. Big Ten football is finally back. Now, I know what you're saying. They don't have very much wiggle room. One COVID case, a couple COVID cases can blow the whole thing up. But before that happens, we must appreciate that the Midwest – and parts of the East will now be represented in the beautiful thing that is college football. The Big Ten is back, and we can all rejoice. Cuts to you. As you guys heard us earlier in the episode, we're all ecstatic for the Big Ten. Bets galore. It's great. It's great. Can't wait. Um, for me, though, I got to take the pro route today. 
and I got to get back to my normal uh, closing statement mentality. And I'm absolutely floored, disgusted, and appalled by Romeo Cornell. Now, while this young man won't get fired as the interim head coach because he's the interim head coach, he clearly, in 110%, maybe not even 110%, maybe 150%, cost the Texans the game against the Titans. And he owes not only the players, but the fans an apology. And I'm not even a Texans fan. Did I bet on it? Maybe. But still, it doesn't matter. (laughs) This is an absolutely ridiculous call that he made and again gets back to the point of this new error dude up in the with the headset in his ear some dweeb that went to harvard talking about analytics and all this other nonsense telling you to go for two here when you could go up by seven and pretty much no i'm sorry when you could go up by eight and win the game and force the titans to go for two romeo Cornell. And his team and his coaching staff chose to, instead of kicking the extra point, the extra point, while granted, since they moved it back, there's been some misses, kick the extra point and go up by eight points. Eight points with around two minutes left to go in the game. Oh, I'm sorry, not even two minutes. A minute 53 left to go in the game. But instead of going up by eight points, Romeo Cornell decides to go for two point, the two-point conversion to go up by nine. Okay, cool. I love the aggression. I love the factor that you think, oh, we go up by nine, the game's completely over because there's not enough time. There's no way anything could happen. But why should you force your team to make that play? Jake, what's the percentage of two-point conversions that succeed in the NFL? Uh, I don't know either, but I'm sure it's low. I'm sure it's low. (laughs) I don't know either. I didn't look it up. I just thought of it, but I'm sure it's low. I'm sure it's low. So why not put your team up by eight? Jake, former coach, why not put your team up by eight points with a minute 53 left? Why? Why not? Extra point, way higher to succeed than a two-point conversion. I hope I'm not wrong because I didn't look up those numbers, but I'm pretty sure I'm right. Why not go up by eight points here? It's an absolute travesty. They could have won two in a row. They could have got the Texans rolling again. J.J. Watt played a hell of a game. Deshaun Watson played an even better game. And because of this decision, you gave the Titans another chance. You gave them life. And they're a really good team. And ultimately, cost you guys a loss. Your season's done. Romeo Cannell, you won't be there next year. Texans are going to move on. Hopefully they find some pieces if Watson's going to stay there to build around him because he's getting the short end of a stick on a lot of things right there. That's all I got to say because I'm just so The Titans. The Titans are who they thought they were. Titans are great. And they shouldn't have won that game. As great as they are, they shouldn't have won that game. That's absurd. Make the Titans go for two. Hey, hey. The Titans are who they thought they were. We let them off the hook. And they let them off the hook. (laughs) (sighs) Oh, man. Unreal. Uh, All right, folks. That's all we got for this week's episode. We will be back. Yet again, with a fresh episode next week. But until then, adios.